This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let me tease you a little bit, immunity. There will be a chalice of supremacy on the line in this show tonight. And if you're listening on podcast tomorrow morning, it's okay. You can still win it. I have got a mission for you to go on in my defense. And um, whoever does it the best will grab a chalice of supremacy. It is Sunday night, June 25th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed, high atop an extremely boisterous downtown Nashville, Tennessee. You know how all these changes are happening in college football and most of us either are indifferent or in many cases just don't like them. I've got some of you who refuse to even watch the show when I talk about things like realignment or NIL and whatnot. Well, it's your show tonight because we're going to actually, is that Reggie Bush just randomly on the screen? Hey, Reggie, I'm going to show you evidence, or at least I'm going to present you some theories, that we've got good changes on the way. And I'm not talking about the ones that are on the radar right now. This has nothing to do with media rights or conferences changing shape or anything like that. No, these are things they're not talking about, which in an ideal world is why you come to this show. we got what ifs on the show tonight. Certainly, we've got bold predictions on the show. I've got wildly differing opinions on Brian Kelly from you and in some cases from me. And also, oh, we're going to address some, some ratchet behavior from our buddy Cole Kubelik. It, it has to be addressed because if you're not going to use your platform to target others, what good is your platform? I knew you'd agree with me. They're watching in Jamaica Beach, Texas, Miami, Florida, Fresno, California, Royal, Alabama. It has been a very good week if you've been following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. Just a potpourri of content. Everything and anything under the sun. And I strongly encourage you, if, you, if you're not already following, Twitter and Instagram's mainly where I traffic, at Late Kick Josh. As for the YouTube channel, we've seen a nice spike in sub traffic this week but we're not to 200K and we need to get to 200K subs. Now, if you're listening, chances are you're already subscribed. Actually, mathematically, that's incorrect because 57% of you still are not. What more can I do? I don't know. Maybe go on a hunger strike. I want to push that down the road a little bit. That's more drastic in nature. Uh, Subscribe to the channel, please. And thank you. Big changes coming to the sport. That's where I want to start tonight's show. Big changes coming to college football. You already know that changes are coming in the way of, a, of, a, of an expanded college football playoff. We don't need to talk about that. You know that NIL seems to always be changing, right? 
Don't need to talk about it. You know that conferences are realigning right under our nose. Don't need to talk about it. Well, what other kind of changes could there be on the horizon? I think some good changes are coming. One of you asked me yesterday, actually in person, I saw one of you at the gym, and one of you asked me, what kind of changes do you think are around the corner in college football that maybe aren't on the radar? A lot of times, these are the kind of questions I'll get. What's happening that I don't know about? Well, there are a few things happening. And I found it necessary to lead the show with it tonight. So I want you to think about this right now. Last December, you probably don't remember it, but we did a segment on the show about the big money shift in college football. And it was a lot of what was happening on the surface and how it impacted things beneath the surface. And I told you at the time some things were coming and it wasn't necessarily going to be front page news, but it was going to impact everything on the front page. So at the time, we were hearing a lot about NIL and we were hearing a lot about how, just to give you an example programs were realizing we're not going to have the bottomless amount of money that we used to have to build immaculate facilities. Also, they were starting to realize maybe these palatial facilities aren't necessarily what's going to win a recruiting battle down the road. Because if you can just hand money to a kid, maybe we don't need to take all this money and put it in assets like a $500 trillion weight room or a sauna that also, you know, has confetti fall from the roof and it can make it fake snow in there. Maybe that's not necessary to win a recruiting battle like it used to be, but they were starting to realize, and they still are, in athletic departments around the country, some of the stuff we used to be able to do, some of the stuff we used to be able to pull off, I should say, we're not going to be able to pull off anymore. In some cases, maybe we don't need to. But anyway, so we talked about that in December. Well, there's another thing I said in December, and I said I thought there was a Moneyball era coming in college football. I just left it at that. At the time, I had had some initial conversations with some power players behind the scenes in college football that led me to believe maybe that's the next chapter. It's going to be the next book. Not the next chapter in college football. It's going to be the next book. So the whole money shift thing. Everyone says college football is all about money. Cool. What do you mean? Be specific. Well, when I talk about the money shift in college football as it relates to NIL, I'm not even talking about players getting money. Sure, that's what NIL means, name, image, and likeness. But for every action, there is an equal and, in this case, opposite reaction. And that means for every dollar that is going to your tailback or your wide receiver, that's a dollar less because it's coming from a third party, a.k.a. a booster's pocket in most cases, that's not going where it used to go. A money shift. Money's not drying up. There's never been more money in this sport than there is now. Just a shift in the money. So I talked to you in December about this Moneyball theory of mine. Moneyball, for those unfamiliar, is uh, basically the Oakland A's modus operandi under Billy Bean for putting together a team with a fraction of the payroll that the New York Yankees had. It's a great movie. I think it's one of the better baseball movies ever made. And it is based on a true story. Brad Pitt didn't actually run the A's. Jesse, no. So Brad Pitt was not actually the general manager of the Oakland A's per se. Maybe if he was, they wouldn't be moving to Las Vegas. But that's another show for another day. But it is a great, it's a great example of what can happen if you value the right things. What you can accomplish when the right things are valued in relation to being at a disadvantage when it comes to the things that people think are valuable. So in baseball, you got way less money than the other team, but you can still put up a record that roughly matches them. How do you do it? Data and analytics. Just simple math, understanding what to value. How's that work in college football? 
there's a Moneyball era coming in college football. It's not the next chapter, which I previously thought. I think it's the whole next book. The power for a long time in this sport when it comes to hiring coaches has simply been in the hands of who has the most powerful clientele list. Jimmy Sexton, for example, is a rock star in college football and has been for a long time because he is the representative of almost every major head coach in college football, certainly in the South. Uh, he's, he represents Smart, he represents Saban, he represents a lot of the big-time coaches, not just in the SEC. And Jimmy Sexton's not going anywhere. I'm not saying the major agent is going anywhere necessarily. However, I think there is coming very soon a power dynamic shift. Today, today in college football, the power is in which agent has the most powerful clients. Tomorrow, the power is going to be in the hands of who can assign proper value to a coach? Who can define the true value of a coach? It's always been there. The math has always been there. The things that actually win have always been there. The factors and criteria, when calibrated properly, they've always been there. It's just no one's quite publicly cornered the market. There are some really sharp folks behind the scenes, but no one has really become the face of this. I've had a lot of conversations about this lately. I think that's going to change, and I think it's going to change pretty soon. And what that means for you as a fan is maybe you see a few less instances of you hiring a guy or an entire staff and then having to, having to hit the dump button on them three years later and pay massive buyout money. Now, it's never really impacted you because that money was never yours, and it's never really impacted in some cases, your athletic director or the administration, because it wasn't their money either. But the money that used to go to a buyout pool is now being shifted over to those other three letters, that NIL pool. And so not only may you not have the money to build those huge facilities anymore, you may not just know you've got that buyout money in your back pocket either. It's become popular in college football over the last decade and a half to just say, oh, screw it, if it doesn't work out, 70 mil, 80 mil, we'll pay it. Well, who in the world's we? In most cases, it's not you. That's why it's so easy to talk about that money. But imagine being an athletic director and all of a sudden being told, hey, the money that you once upon a time thought was going to be there, it's not there anymore. You better make these hires work. Well, all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more fine game than just, well, uh, my buddy down in Ozark, Alabama, he likes this defensive line coach, and, and he chips in 1.2 per year to the athletic fund. So let's give that D-line coach a chance. I'm not saying this is how sloppy all coaching searches happen, but there, is, there are many voices in the room of coaching searches that have no business being in the room of coaching searches. I think there is going to be a much, much finer filter put on coaching searches in the future, in the very near future. And the Moneyball approach, understanding what to value and how much to value it is going to walk in the room pretty quickly here. Someone's going to corner the market on it. Someone's going to become rich because of it. And someone's going to change the game in the process. Number two, and it all has to do with the money shift. And this is really what's going to catch a lot of your ears and eyes is we are rapidly approaching an entirely new governance structure in college football. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but the NCAA doesn't it doesn't seem to be on the most sturdy of grounds, does it? No, because it's not. Now, I'm not saying next week or two weeks from now, but eventually those four letters will largely be a thing of the past too as it relates to what you view 
as the overall governing body of this sport. I have told you I don't think this is as simple as one, two, three, or ABC uh, because it costs money to run college football, and it specifically costs money to cover the liability of running college football. That's what stood in the way of this so far. Believe me, member institutions do not look at the NCAA as, as this moral beacon under which or, or without which they wouldn't know where to go. They look at the NCAA and say, it's a good thing we got that shield over us so that when someone files a lawsuit uh, because of, because of uh, career-ending or debilitating injury, CTE is an entire problem. When someone files those lawsuits, it's not us at the University of Maryland that has to cover it. The NCAA is the one that goes to fight that battle in court. No one's looking forward to that. But the positives probably outweigh the negatives down the road because the money is so big, the money shift is so big, uh, that there's also coming a day, very soon, I think, where you have a new governance structure in college football. And you know why that's important to me? It's important to me because I can't wait until the last day that I ever have to hear about college football teams vacating wins as a punitive measure from the NCAA. This has always been the stupidest thing on the face of the earth. For you, to be punished for something normally you did like a decade ago because they work at a glacial pace at the NCAA when they finally do nail you, quote unquote, what's one of the first things they want to do? They want to take things away that we already know happened because we all watched it happen. LSU recently has to vacate wins from the Les Miles era. Did you wake up the next morning and look at the world and see it any differently? No, because nothing changed. Because that's foolishness. It's nonsense. And the same thing goes with taking people's Heismans. I watched Reggie Bush. I know he was the best player in the country that year. And therefore, when I picture Reggie Bush's mantle, there's a Heisman trophy on it. I could not care less what the NCAA or any other governing body has come in and retroactively said does or doesn't belong there because it's not their sport, really. It's ours to define, a lot more than theirs. Anyway, that kind of stuff still happens, unfortunately. In the future, when you have a new governance structure that's probably run a lot more by the leagues and by the conferences themselves than you know some entity like the NCAA, it will be about money. When you get punished because you violate rules that under that governance structure, those conferences have agreed to abide by, you're getting hit in the wallet. Kids aren't going to get hit because you lack scholarships. Players from 10 years ago aren't going to all of a sudden be told that game you won didn't really happen. Uh, players who you know won the Remington Trophy aren't all of a sudden going to have it plucked out of, their, out of their apartment in the middle of the night because that doesn't mean anything. And that doesn't really impact anyone that needs to be impacted. Losing money is what impacts you. Oh my goodness, there's Floyd of Rosedale. So we just have a rule on the show. I have to salute whenever Floyd of Rosedale is on the screen because it's the it's kind of sort of the greatest trophy in sports. I hate to be the bearer of bad news to you guys. Stanley Cup's wonderful. I mean, uh, the Lombardi Trophy is beautiful, but something special about that little pig. Just something special that tugs at the heartstrings. So, yeah. When you have a new governance structure, that governance structure is not going to include vacating wins. It's not going to include taking trophies away from anyone, and it shouldn't. So two things that I want you to watch. It's not going to be a snap of the fingers, but two things I want you to watch. And Jesse, we're bookmarking this segment because both of these things are going to happen. I will guarantee it. Number one, the way that coaches are hired, the process in which they're hired, and the way you assign value to a coach as you hire him 
is about to have a radical alteration. Now, I'm talking publicly about this. Smart-thinking athletic directors have been doing this and have known who to consult with for quite a while. That is not an exhaustive list because not all of them understand how to go about their business. In the future, it'll be a prerequisite. Like if you don't understand who to go to and how to go about your business, you won't even get the job. And number two, new governance is coming. I don't know if it's going to be league by league. I don't know if it's going to be leagues entering into a collective governance structure, but it's coming. And both of these things will be for the better because you don't have to watch your program pay astronomical buyouts because they hired the wrong guys that had no business being hired uh, 12, 24, 36, 48 months ago. And you don't have to be told that a game you went to a dozen years ago all of a sudden doesn't count. And those, by my estimation, are both really, really good changes. Also, I forgot to do something here, so if you'll excuse me, even though we are live, I have to pull something up because I have to read it later. Okay, got a good audience. Wow, I actually wouldn't have seen that otherwise. Thank you for being tuned in live. And uh, remember, you know, like and subscribe, if you will. I feel like we should just fly a plane over the studio that, that pulls that banner behind it. I'm not quite sure ever what's going to take off on this show, but I had a pretty good feeling about what ifs. And I was right. And what ifs have taken off? What, what ifs every time we do this, it really does a ton of traffic, got hundreds and really thousands of comments on this particular segment. So we've thrown it in the last several shows. You've started to participate. So I've, I've really, I've started to sprinkle mine in, but a lot more of these are what you think. And if you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're new to the show, here's what's been happening. Yeah, we can do predictions. I leave that up to you. I'll do mine in August. And yeah, we can do top 10 lists, but everybody does that stuff. And so what I like to do is maybe just take little differing angles on late kick sometimes. And one of them is, Colin, here's your end point here. What if? What if these sorts of things happened this fall? Give you an example. Here's the first one that we went with tonight. Nate hit us up and said, what if the college football playoff is comprised mostly of just the top transfer portal teams? This would be a really big deal, number one, because it would mean some new teams were in the playoff. But number two, it would really challenge some college football worldviews out there. Remember when Michigan State did their thing a couple of years ago and they, they leaned heavy on the portal and then all of a sudden they went on a run. But then next year, last year, they crashed and burned. And so you had the crowd that was worshiping at the altar of the transfer portal saying, look, Mel Tucker's revolutionizing the game. And then the detractors said the next year, nope, it was all fool's gold. And in reality, we're still so new in the entire transfer portal era, the book hasn't been written. So someone's going to end up doing some stuff for the first time, as is the case with anything new. And there will be rules and there will be exceptions to the rule. But think about what the what the what if there was from Nate. If the playoff is comprised mainly of transfer portal teams, so you're looking at your Florida States or your USC's or LSU's, Oklahoma, Miami's kind of leading on the portal. If a handful of those teams make up the playoff, it'd be one of the biggest what ifs in the sport. He's not saying one now. I mean, one of those odds are probably do make it in this year. You got a, you got a really impressive list there. But if like two or three of them are in there, if Florida State, LSU and USC were all in the playoff, you'd have a fundamental shift in the way a lot of people look at this sport. A lot of people think, for example, and they're kind of married to the idea that you can't be leaning on the portal. You can use it to supplement your roster, but you have got to recruit, just make up a percentage, 75 or 85% of your roster the old-fashioned way. 
I'm a believer in that, by the way. Now, if I were a new head coach, I'd, I'd do exactly what Lincoln Riley's done. I probably wouldn't take a job where I had to do exactly what Dion's done. But make no mistake, I would portal like crazy. If I were Mike Norvell at Florida State, I'd do exactly what he's done. And then I would try and transition it into a more traditional approach. But if they expect wins out of me immediately, I got to go get good players immediately. But anyway, if the playoff is made up of those teams, all of a sudden you may have someone or a group of someone's look around and say, hey, talent acquisition is just talent acquisition. And maybe if we landed on earth today and we weren't married to the old way of thinking and old way of doing things, we would rightly look around and say, it doesn't matter where the players come from as long as we get them. I'm pointing at you like the Uncle Sam poster if you're listening on podcast. There would be enough changing in the ideology where this would impact the sport. So let's keep an eye on it. Next up, this would be a disaster in Norman. Peter said, what if Oklahoma just gets dominated by Texas? Dot, dot, dot. Again. I know you have wiped this from your memories out there in Sooner Country, but the rest of the country does remember the final of this game was 49 to nothing last year. I don't know if you can tell by the score, but they had some QB issues at Oklahoma. This was the worst loss in the history of that series. It was gross. I was there one year earlier, and it was like one of the greatest games in the history of that series, the highest scoring game in the history of that series. And I did not go back last year, and I really feel like I made the right decision. Time will tell whether we're there this year. You know my preference, but time will tell. If this happened, this would do a world of damage to Brent Venables. I'm pulling for the dude, but if he took another beating anywhere close to on par with 49 to nothing, rivalry games mean so much in this sport. They should. I'm not looking to change that at all. I'm not the one that tries to overthink the room and say, now I know you just got drugged by 42 by Texas, but you wouldn't hear me saying that the next day. You didn't hear me saying it the day after last year. It was embarrassing. It was terrible. Even in your first year, it's terrible. Now, I didn't say, fire this bum. Nothing like that. But you lose again this year, anywhere close to that magnitude. Yes, yes, it would be a really big deal. I'm not even here to tell you otherwise. Uh, The line for the record is Texas minus six right now. There was no point spread that would ever predict something like this is my point. But what would this also mean for Texas? Last time Texas even won back-to-back, no, last time Texas Hey, is this right, Jesse? The last time Texas did what back-to-back years? That's crazy. I thought I remembered it differently. Okay, so, so this is written right in front of me. The last time Texas won back-to-back games in this series, the Red, the Red River uh, shootout series that is also a rivalry, was 08 and 09. All of the 20 teens, Texas didn't win back-to-back. So that would be significant if they win by 1 or 100 But put yourself in the shoes of an Oklahoma Sooners fan for just a second and picture yourself still sort of shaken coming off 49 to nothing. And then you go into Dallas this year and the line is, let's just say it is what it is. Texas minus six. Let's say it doesn't change. You've got your keys to victory. You got your path to an upset. You've probably bet Sooners money line and it's 35 to 10 at the half. And it is 48 to 17, the final. And that's the last game you play against Texas before both of you guys move to the SEC. So they're moving to the SEC with with a whole balloon full of confidence. And you're entering the toughest conference in America with questions, not knowing if you got the right head coach. Obviously, that's unacceptable. 
So obviously, this is a really big what if. Next up, this one personally just drags me into the mud every time. Jeff said, what if a G5 team goes undefeated? Well, Jeffrey, here's what would happen. A gigantic argument would ensue. Nobody would win. We would just all be losers. Who's the closest to doing this this year? Tulane has the highest preseason over-under win total. Out of all the G5 teams, they got the sweetest looking end zone too. Out of all the G5 teams, Tulane has an over-under of nine. And then Jesse tells me there are eight of them at eight and a half. And those are your Boise's, Liberty's, Troy's. Hey, Troy, look, I'm investing in Troy football. I don't know if they're watching and they can put that in the hype video. I'm investing in Troy football. So put that on the record. James Madison's up there. Fresno's up there. Uh, the conversation with the G5 playoff thing's always a dead end because here's what it sounds like. You've, you've heard it because we've done it on this show before. You've either got crowd number one that says they're undefeated. They deserve a shot to play for a championship. And then you've got the other crowd. I happen to be in the other crowd. And the other crowd says, yes, they absolutely do deserve a shot to play for a G5 championship. And then the first crowd starts saying, good, we agree. And then there's a silence. And then the first crowd goes, wait a second. Did you say G5 championship? And the second crowd says, yes, that's exactly what I said. Because it is absurd that this sport has grouped 130 plus teams into allegedly the same neighborhood. Uh, that is not how college football should actually be divided up. There are obvious tiers of have and have less and then have a little bit less than that and then have not and then poverty and they shouldn't all be lumped into one playing a vastly disproportionate strength of schedule in the process but then being told at the end of the day, well, you are what your record says you are. Uh, no, you're not. And no, going undefeated in your G5 conference does not automatically mean you deserve a shot at anything and it's not your fault. I'm... I'm having to direct it at you because you're normally the one I have the argument with. It is not on Coastal Carolina. It is not on uh, UL Lafayette. It is not on Tulane. It's not their fault. A long time ago, it should have been understood in this sport that we have tears. It is ludicrous to suggest Coastal Carolina and Ohio State play the same sport. And therefore, Coastal Carolina should always have had their own championship to chase, just like the FCS does. But no, we didn't do it that way. Because we wanted a shot of that BCS pie, and I get it. Again, we go all we go back to the money shift, don't we? I get why it is the way it is, uh, but in the spirit of competition, it shouldn't be the way that it is. So that's what would happen. The what if, if Tulane were to go undefeated, it would be, here's what would happen. So if you look at their schedule, did we already show that, Colin? I don't even know if we have it. Tulane's schedule, just to give you an idea of the hypocrisy in this sport. Tulane plays, by my memory, one Power 5 opponent this year, and that is Ole Miss at home. There are people who would look at Tulane, God bless Tulane, went down there last year. We, we took the every given Saturday to Tulane. So don't call me a green wave hater. But there are people who would watch Tulane play a schedule with a grand total of one Power 5 opponent on it, and they would say if they were undefeated, they deserve a shot at a championship. Those same people are the ones who look at Georgia and say, shame on you for only playing eight SEC teams. Do you see the hypocrisy here? Like, do you understand how crazy that is? I go back to our buddy, the alien, all the time. Sometimes we, we summon him and we bring the ultra-intelligent, 
but ignorant of college football alien to earth, and we deliver him the facts as they are. Here's the situation, alien. What do you think? The alien looks around, and you've heard aliens talk. We've all seen signs. So he clicks and clacks, and someone translates, probably Google. And it turns out the alien is saying, you guys have this strength of schedule thing pretty warped. This is not that difficult to figure out. The alien is right, but the alien's not emotional. And um, everybody else in the argument is. So it would be a great big mess of a what if. That is the answer. Lastly, as, as far as what ifs go tonight, <laughs> Kelly, I don't even know what this means. <laughs> but Iowa is on its own scale when it comes to offense. So Kelly just says, what if Iowa has an offense? That's it. There, that's the end of the sentence. What if Iowa has an offense? It was bad last year. It was historically catastrophically bad last year. That's why all those coaching staff changes were made. I'm being told nothing, nothing changed. Just, just some caveats in the OC's contract. Okay, so actually nothing changed up there. Uh, they were 88th or worse in points per game three of the last four years. Not ideal. They had 17.7 points per game nationally. Last year, that was 123rd. Just here's how bad it was. There were games last year where their defense allowed nine points and 10 points, and they went 0-2 in those games. That's how bad it was last year. If they have an offense, whatever that means, they probably win the Big Ten West is the answer. And if they have an offense this year, (laughs) judging by what it actually takes to get shown the door, if the, if the alternative were to happen one year and they actually have an offense, Brian Ferentz is probably leading Iowa as head coach into the 2030s because they're terrible offensively and nothing happens up there. If they're actually good offensively for a year, they're going to name streets after that guy. They're going to they're gonna name days after that guy. They will, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say that. No, I don't. Good for me, by the way. What a filter I just showed. Because I was going to say something that was very funny, but also very offensive, probably unnecessary. So I'm not going to do it. I'll leave it to our buddy Lucy Roden up there. You know what? If she wants to turn it loose, I'll DM her what I was going to say. Iowa and a good offense. They brought in a ton of transfer talent, so it's not like they're not going to technically try. Uh, but, you know, I can try and be 6'8 all I want to. Six ones, the best I can do for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Academy Sports at Outdoors is the best any of us can do for any of us. 
I had a lot of testimonials in the inbox today. I meant to grab a few of them. Then we got busy today doing other things that I'll show you later in the show. And I forgot to do it. But uh, there were a lot of you that went to Academy this weekend, apparently. Or either you told me you did. We have the data. We don't. Academy does. Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for, among other things, grills. You know, we had some of our friends here, thanks to you, come to our softball game the other night. I got intentionally walked with the bases loaded. Not going to talk about it on the show. It'll only make me angry. But it was very nice to see Proud. Emily Proud was there. Uh, Grishy was there. Street name Air Bear. Bradley the Associate was there. Very, very demonstrative. Very excited. I think Bradley may have had money on a church softball game the other night. And he makes enough of it to go film it. So, uh, My point is, I was looking on the Twitters today. And our buddy Aaron Grisham talked about needing a grill. And the way that I know we're doing our job on this show is because Proud comes in right in the comments and says, Academy's got grills. And the way she knows that is because I chastised her no more than a month ago about herself not knowing that Academy carried grills. Lesson learned. It's not just a good Tracy Lawrence song. It's also something she experienced because of Academy and a little bit because of me. I'll take the credit where it's earned. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, they don't just have baseball bats or footballs or basketball goals. They got grills. They got tents. They got fishing poles. They got shoes. They got all sorts of things that you could need. And selfishly, I always have to remind you, they do carry big league chew in the checkout line. So that stuff may lose its flavor in about 30 seconds, but it is like the greatest 30 seconds that you'll ever experience. Could have immunity there, but I won't because I'm doing that and the ad reads too much. So if you can't get there in person, academy.com is your, is your hookup because they are our hookup. It is why you get this show free of charge. So check them out. Oh, uh, let's see. Nope, I don't want to do it yet, but um, someone called us out today. Someone, someone put their nose where it didn't belong. And so when you flick us on the ear, we burn down your house. It's just the rules, just the give and take around here. So we will, we will come at someone accordingly a little bit later on. In the meantime, a lot of you coming for Brian Kelly. I felt the need to ask earlier today the following question. What is your opinion of Brian Kelly? And since this went so well with the Dabo experiment and the Jimbo experiment and the Lincoln Riley experiment, why should I expect anything different with Brian Kelly? And I was right, predictably. So... First thing, before we even talk about your opinions on Brian Kelly, you know what's insane that's been so far in front of our faces, I think some people forget. You know this dude's been coaching over 30 consecutive years at the head coaching level. You know how difficult that is to do? Just, just show up every day. Not even winning, just showing up every day. And then winning, being at a consistently high level, this dude's first year as a head coach was 1991. 91! He was at Grand Valley State from 91 to 2003. That is just 12 years spent there. And then he goes to Central Michigan for a couple of years. Then Cincy for a couple of years. He was at Notre Dame from 2010 to 2021, guys. He was there over a decade. And now he's at LSU. There's been no year off. Three plus decades as a head football coach in college football and in most of those years, major college football. Wild. And here he is, still relevant. And some would say, I don't know, I guess this would be fair to say, whenever the book's written on Brian Kelly, it's very possible that the core chapters have yet to be written. 
which is absurd. It's just wild to say about a guy who's got 30-plus years under his head coaching belt. Think about what he could do at LSU. And think about what the future could hold. Near future and long-term future. He's already closing in on 300 career wins. Like, I remember reading stories about when Bear Bryant got to 300 wins and, and it was towards the tail end of his career. Kelly could coach another decade for all we know. So, I asked you what your opinions were of him. I thought our buddy Chris Marler from Saturday Down South did a phenomenal job of blending cinema with college football to describe what the majority of you feel about Brian Kelly. Colin, do we have that? Check out what our buddy said here. He said, Brian Kelly is the Nick Cage of Southern accents, but he's the John Malkovich of coaching. Sorry, I've been watching Con Air all weekend. Con Air, as we all know, phenomenal film, robbed of many Academy Awards. This was a movie, for example, that saw a young Dave Chappelle killed on a prison aircraft, followed by having a note written on his shirt and then tossed out of an airplane to sail to the ground below so that the person on board with the bad Southern accent, Nicolas Cage, could alert authorities that the plane had been taken over. What more do you need to know? If you haven't seen that movie already, go see it yesterday, but wait until after the show. So anyway, he's right. Marler's right. Because there are a lot of you out there who are not LSU fans, let's just say. There are a lot of you out there who look at Brian Kelly and there's something you don't like about him, but it's on the exterior in most cases. And then you follow it up with but, and then following the but is he's a really good coach. So you got some Nick Cage bootleg Southern accent, but then you get down to the John Malkovich part and you realize he's a really good actor, or in this case, he's a really good football coach. Now there's this other group out there. As I was perusing through the replies today, there's this other group out there that is fixated on the fact that this man, Brian Kelly, has not won a national championship, which I cannot argue with on a fact-based basis. He has not won one. But I did get into it a little bit with one of you today. If, if, if it was a little too rough, I apologize. I don't think it was, though. It wasn't. Scratch that. It wasn't. I don't apologize. Maybe I should apologize. You tell me. Here's what happened. So I start talking about Brian Kelly. And someone came back at me and said, yeah, but he hasn't won a national championship. And if he, here was the, here was the paraphrased quote. If he didn't win a championship at a more tradition rich and history filled program like Notre Dame, he'll never win one at LSU. I replied the only logical way one could reply to that. And I said, history and tradition cannot run a 4-4. The players he gets at LSU can. And the reply was, wait, are you telling me he didn't have good enough athletes at Notre Dame? And I said, I'm absolutely telling you he did not have good enough athletes there to beat Alabama or Clemson. The reply is one of the usual lame replies you get on social media platforms when someone's beaten. They say, yikes. Yikes can loosely be translated to, look at this white flag I'm waving, you win. Uh, no, he didn't have good enough players there. No, he was never going to get good enough players there. Now, if you're a Notre Dame fan, don't take that to mean Marcus Freeman can't do it. I'm telling you, Brian Kelly, who he is at the place he was and the way the place was when he was there was never going to lead to a top three roster in college football. And seeing as how the Bamas and Clemsons of the world at the time were dominating the sport, that's what it was going to take to overtake one of them. So 
doesn't matter to a lot of people. A lot of people just get fixated on the result. Like if, if you're trying to build an igloo in Juneau, Alaska, and I'm trying to build one in Tampa, it's a little bit tougher for me. But there are some people out there who look around and just say, they built one in Juneau, no problem. You only got like the, the first two layers of blocks there in Tampa before it melted. And I'm like, fool, I'm in Tampa. Doesn't matter. You didn't build it. And they did up there. I think some people look at that and understand there, there are some external factors that went in play there. I think there are also, likewise, some people that in college football understand there's some things in play at Notre Dame that aren't in play at LSU. I think, for instance, it's a testament to Brian Kelly that he had Notre Dame at the level he had him at for so long. I, I think it's a miracle that he was in the playoffs multiple times and played for a championship before the playoff arrived. I think that's a huge deal. Some people don't. We'll agree to disagree there, I guess. And it's not that people say he sucks because he hasn't won a national title, but they do look at him and say, no, I can't talk about him in quite the rarefied air some of you do. Well, I don't talk about him as being on par with Saban. I haven't talked about him. It's kind of apples to oranges with Smart because he's, he's coached at the head coaching level longer than Smart's been a coach, period. But, but I have not put him in that category. Same conversation we had with Lincoln Riley the other night. I don't put him up there. So anytime the overrated sticker comes in, you know our question. Our question and response is, well, what is the person rated? What's Brian Kelly rated? He, he is in the top 10 and very well should be in much higher than just the number 10 spot. But there's this, there's this third group, the group that I want to focus on because the squeakiest wheel gets the grease even on this show. There is a third group out there. There's a small but vocal group of people who were just plain mad Brian Kelly made him look dumb last year. These were the kind of people who really heavily leaned into the whole accent thing and the whole dancing and recruiting videos thing, and they swore that he was a bad fit, and he wasn't. He was always a good fit. Candidly, I would tell you he's a better fit at LSU than he was at Notre Dame. Just a shock to a lot of people, but those are the people who haven't been around Brian Kelly. I think they're learning this more and more day by day down in Baton Rouge. But the folks who called him out, and who said it's going to be a disaster. There were many of them. This was not a fringe minority opinion. It was very popular opinion in the SEC that he's a terrible fit, uh, culture will clash, and he won't fit in. He has seamlessly blended in. He has brought a new energy, both in portaling and recruiting there. He's also very professional in the way he structures an organization, the likes of which they were not seeing before he got there. And folks are looking around saying, when does reality hit? This reality that everyone outside of Baton Rouge told us was going to hit. Uh, reality is hitting them. It's not going to hit you. You got the right guy. It's hitting them that you got the right guy. And some folks are mad about that because they don't like egg on their face. It's not just fans. There are folks in the media sphere of college football who also called for a quick exit for Brian Kelly. Going to be one or two years. You'll get tired of him. He'll get tired of you. And Whatever happens, it'll blow up. No, it won't. No, it's not. All he did was win the West in year one. And those, those people are a little more vindictive when they describe how they feel about Brian Kelly. Uh, these are the people that mix in the personal shots. I'm not wasting time on it on the show, obviously. But those are the main three groups of people that I saw today. Here's the difference. Sometimes when there's a younger coach, a guy who truly hasn't proven himself. Brent Venables is a really good example, actually. Venables, when I say young, I mean young as a head coach. Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Uh, Dan Lanning is actually a young guy who's also a young head coach at Oregon. These are guys who 
quite literally have not proven themselves as head coaches because they're brand new head coaches. If you want to doubt them, okay, we could have that argument. We could have that conversation, I guess is what it would be. With Kelly, you're not going to waste my time arguing with me about whether that guy's a high-level head coach. You will not. Now, if you want to get in the weeds a little bit and you want to talk about specific strengths and weaknesses at LSU right now, you got some areas that they're very much above average in. I think if you are to point out areas, and this is mainly from the coaching perspective, you want to point out areas where over time they're going to have to get better. It's on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not talking about a specific player. I'm talking about more position groupings, and I'm more talking about uh, guys who are leading those rooms. And these are not areas where they would grade out at an F or anything like that. But if you look at them compared to other staffs in the SEC, defense, they're going to have to get better in certain places. But they will because they've got the money to do it. It is one of the greatest places to coach in America, and they'll get that figured out in the very short term. But as for Brian Kelly, the coach, it's just it's another in a seemingly endless chamber that the SEC gets to fire at you of high-level head coaches, very high-level head coaches. I mean, Lane Kiffin is just at Ole Miss. Hardly anyone even talks about him. Because uh, you, you've got Nick Saban there. You've had him there for a long time. You're about to add OU in Texas down here as well. You can be a really good coach and just get lost in the shuffle down there. And for Brian Kelly to have walked in the SEC and immediately grab this much of the oxygen in the room was not easy to do and is not easy to do. And, and I think if we were to have him on the show, he would tell you humbly, maybe humbly, we're, we're just getting started. I don't disagree with him. How, how many of you, at least a thousand of you, have messaged me over the months and asked me how you get one of these things? That's a chalice of supremacy. That's a Pate State chalice of supremacy. They're not for sale. You, you couldn't buy one for a trillion dollars. You probably fashion one for that much, but you can't buy one. But you can win one for free. Uh, 99% of the time, the way that you get one of those is to bring us an example of you mass marketing this show. The most glaring example was the fact that several of you got kicked off college game day because you had late kick posters in the background. We, we for legal reasons, cannot claim responsibility for that here. And it was you that did it. But those, those folks got chalai of supremacy, plural of chalice. Well, tonight, I have a different mission for you. Colin, show them the tweet. Earlier today, when we were innocently just trying to build content for the show by putting out the tweet that said, what is your opinion of Brian Kelly, our buddy Cole Kublik, who has absolutely already texted me during the show, it happened uh, 23 minutes ago, just haven't acknowledged it because I knew this was coming, our buddy Cole Kublik responded. And he asked the entire world, what is your opinion of Josh Pate? Now you came through for me. And I told him in the replies, when this backfires on you, which it will, I am going to throw this in tonight's show. Not only am I throwing this in tonight's show, friends, but I am telling you the moment that I go off the air tonight, I'm sending out a tweet of my own, and it's going to read as follows. What is your opinion of Cole Kublik? Now, he is a friend of ours, so I want you to keep it sort of clean, but also feel free to personally attack him. I do privately. You can feel free to do it publicly. Tasteful attacking, though. The best reply is getting a chalice of supremacy, as judged by me. You have 24 hours. We move on. 
Oh, oh, by the way, great Meemaw quote here. You mess with the freights, you get the cow catcher. That is what Cole Kublik's about to experience. And Jesse didn't even know what a cow catcher was when I told him that earlier today. And he needs to learn a lot more about locomotive history, in my opinion. All right, let's go to bold predictions. Bold predictions roll on. It is chapter 12 of bold predictions tonight. What do you believe? What would you bet on? Candidly, I think we have a bold prediction in the show that one of you does not believe. And I'm going to call you on it a little bit later. First up, bold prediction from Adam. USC and Texas make the playoff. This would turn the sport inside out. Uh, These are two of the biggest premier brands when they're on top in college football. Miami's another one. But all three of them have been uh, varying levels of down lately. And so they haven't mattered as much. But believe me, I have lived through eras where one or both of these teams are at the top of their game. Most of us have lived through an era where they faced off in a national title game. And it's wild. For those of, for those of you who haven't been there, like it's, a, like it's a theme park that's 100 miles down the road, and I've been there, let me tell you, it's wild. You got to go there one day. This is an 8.75 for me on the boldness scale. So to give you an idea of where they stack up in the preseason, USC has the sixth best odds to win the title. Texas has the eighth best odds to win the title. Not crazy. And we're just saying that they're going to make the playoff, not win the title. (sighs) These would both be first timers, though. They'd both be rookies making the playoff. It doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, But USC and Texas, I still can't believe that's a true sentence. Neither one of them has made the playoff. Um, Here's what would be fun for me personally. If either of them make the playoff, but especially if both of them make the playoff, It'd be a bad day to be one of those what we call cannot casuals. And that is the kind of person who thinks that just because something has never happened, that means it cannot happen. USC can't make the playoff. Uh, Texas can't make the playoff. Well, yes, they can. They haven't. Have not. Does not equal cannot. Our rule of the summer around here. This is an 8.75. It's just hard to make the playoff first off. And then when you're throwing the old parlay at me, which are the devil's tool to bankrupt you, when you're throwing the parlay at me, USC and Texas... It's pretty bold, friends. Not over the cliff, but on the edge of the cliff. 8.75 on the boldness scale. Next up, speaking of that old playoff that we love so much on this show, why don't we just, why don't we just talk to Gilbert in South Carolina? He says, no team that made the playoff last year will make it this year. So we're going to have four fresh teams in there. Uh, this is a nine and a quarter. Uh, you know what? It's bolder than that. 9.5 on the boldness scale for me here. Last year, we had Georgia, we had Michigan, we had TCU, we had Ohio State. So before we even go any deeper here, I need you to tell me how neither Michigan nor Ohio State are making the playoff. Certainly in most of the scenarios, if one doesn't make it, the other does. Now, producer Jesse might as well come in my ear right now and say, yeah, what about Penn State? Valid. What about Penn State? But even if Penn State were to beat both of them, go undefeated and win the Big Ten title and make the playoff, I'm still asking. Ohio State with one loss, Michigan with one loss, well, one of them would have another loss because they played each other, but you're, you're telling me that neither one of them ended, enough, ended up being good enough to have an at-large spot? And then if you, if you find a way to thread that needle, you still got to keep Georgia out. Georgia's going to have a tough time getting beat in the regular season. It's not impossible. But Josh Heupel going to pull it off later in the year. Hugh Freeze, their first road game. Maybe Shane Beamer comes in there week three and, and catches lightning in the bottle. Or maybe just Alabama beats him in the SEC title game or something like that. But 
even then with one loss is Georgia staying out of the playoff. I could see TCU not making it. I could, well, I already talked about the other three. This is going to be tough. So Josh Heupel's got to be your best friend here. Uh, James Franklin's got to be your best friend if you want this to happen. I just don't think you're keeping all four of those out. I don't think you're keeping Michigan and Ohio State out. Uh, Georgia, I think, would find a way in or one of the others would find their way in. This is a 9.5 for me. We're going nine or above with the next two as well. It's a very bold night here. What about from Ocala, Florida? Florida just wins nine games. This is a nine. Speaking of the number nine, this is a nine on the boldness scale. Do you, do you, I know that these preseason odds don't determine anything. And I'm not trying to tell you they do. All I'm trying to tell you is it is depressing. It is grade A level depression to see Florida with a preseason over under win total of five and a half. That is abysmal. So if they win nine, wonderful. Just throw up the middle finger to Vegas. But in the meantime, I'm telling you, this is pretty bold. To win nine games, I'm going to make it a nine. They play five of the top 18 odds teams in the country. So you take that list to win the national title, the, the top 20 favorites. Florida plays five of the top 18. We have no clue what they're going to look like at quarterback. They are 118th in returning production. Returning production is a, a number I use a lot. It's only because I know the, pre, the preview magazines are going to talk about returning starters. And I don't value any of these stats wholesale, but I value percentage of returning production a lot more than I do just returning starters because that means nothing to me. Quarterback, we already talked about. Defense has got to get a lot better. They've got depth issues several places, but they should be able to run the ball. And if they can run the ball well and they can play good defense and control the turnover margin. There is a world where Florida wins a lot of close games. Are they going to win nine games? I don't know. That's pretty bold. I'm pulling for you guys. I don't know what else to say. I'm allowed to play favorites here. I'm pulling for you guys. Swamp 24-7. I hope you heard me over there. Uh, lastly, this one's the one I don't buy. All right, so I don't, I don't, I don't like doing this to you, but... Fifth quarter BYU, that's the name of the uh, Twitter account. He does not believe what he just said here. The prediction is Penn State loses five regular season games. You don't believe that. And the way I know you don't is because I'm going to give you a chance to back it up. The entire premise of this segment is what do you believe that's bold, but you would bet your own money on? You're telling me Penn State's going to lose five regular season games. I'm going any amount of money you want to on it. You know how to get in touch with me because you already got in touch with me. They are not losing five games. Their over-under win total is nine and a half, but I don't really care what Vegas says about that. I care what their schedule says. I care that they should have one of, if not maybe the best defenses in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country. I was up there a month and a half ago and looked at that tailback room. It's going to be very hard to slow them down. They should have really good quarterback play. There, there is no glaring weakness on the team. So unless you have a model out there that can predict quarterback injury, which none of us can, you're, you're not telling me that you have confidence in them losing five regular season games. But if you do, if you have that confidence, come make some money off of me because I'd be happy to be proven wrong there. Well, happy for you, not happy for Penn State. They're watching us in Clarksville, Tennessee, San Diego, California. Garner, Iowa is tuned in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
really, really good numbers. <laughs> We've done like one show in the entire month of June that's been under an hour. Most of them have been over an hour 10. That hasn't been planned. It's just, if we're going to do a show, we're going to do a show. So we're not mailing them in around here. And we appreciate you guys being tuned in because the audience retention has been phenomenal. And that has uh, thus motivated us to continue that push to give you longer shows. Uh, it's a lot of paper. This is not paper popping. It's just paper shuffling. Calm down. But here you go. There's your paper pop. I know a lot of you out there like to bet on the over-under on paper pops. So we're at one right now. I hope no one pushes. We've been spotlighting teams. As the, as the preview magazines come out, one of you asked me the other day, by the way, which, my, which one is my favorite? I don't really have a favorite. I, I love some of the digital copies, and I'm going to give those guys some credit and attribution once they release theirs. And I know a lot of you just go to the grocery store, you pick up your Lindy's, Anthlon, Phil Steele. I, I encourage you to get all of them. I just, I, I don't pick out a favorite necessarily. So anyway, but with that in mind, because it is preview magazine season, I know a lot of you are in the preview mood. On this show, what we've been doing is we've been taking one team per night. I've been going like five minutes on it. And what I want it to be is like if you, if you just licked your index finger and you flip the page open, but it's figurative because obviously you're listening or watching, here are, here's what I think you need to know about these teams. So tonight, Arkansas. What do you need to know? First question I have about Arkansas is with their secondary, safety in particular. I was at the Arkansas-Cincinnati game to start the year last year, and they had devastating injury at that position, and it just doomed them for the rest of the year. A lot of folks deal with injuries, not making excuses, uh, but Barry Odom, the defensive coordinator, he's moved on to UNLV, and so they've got Travis Williams, who is the new DC there, and they've got, they've got a lot of staff shakeup, actually, and they've got new players there as well. Their defense last season, 101st nationally in points per game. They were, man, that number looks crazy. They were 131st in pass yards allowed per game. Let me give you the worst stat to me. The explosive play rate, that is allowing a play of 20-plus yards, they gave up 90 of those. You only play 12 games. I think we may have included the bowl game here, but they, they gave up 90. That's good for 131st in the country. That's worst in the country, an explosive play rate given up. So yeah, uh, obviously the biggest question with this team starts with the secondary, but it's not exclusively there. On the offensive line, at the tackle position, they got to have some recruits step in. Uh, they also, look, the interior offensive line looks a lot better for them maybe than the tackle position, but also just looking at line of scrimmage in general, their defensive line should be a strength of their team. What I'm curious about is, you can talk about your two deep or your three deep, and they have very, very quality depth there. I wonder how many difference makers they have. I wonder out of that group, do they have a guy or a couple of guys that are capable of wrecking games? Don't have to be in Dominican Sioux, obviously, but do they have some of those guys? Those are some questions there because outside of that, you also have just the overall internal dynamic. I know people who watch the show or obviously Arkansas fans, folks who listen to Trey Biddy over there at Hogs 24-7, for instance, you know about some of the internal dynamics last year that weren't exactly swell and some of the staffers that have moved on, not just talking about coordinators. All of that blends in. So there are a lot of questions here. I'm just doing three. The third question, by the way, for me is wide receiver development. Five of their top six pass catchers are gone. 
And when it comes to the guys returning, three of their top four returning pass catchers are tailbacks. So they've got to have some guys emerge there. Now, this is not going to be the most pass-happy offense in the SEC or the country, but Tyrone Broden, uh, Andrew Armstrong, our guy Varquez Gums transferred in there from North Texas, and, and our, our guy guy, Isaac Tesla, who we're not quite sure on the pronunciation with yet. There's two A's on the end. So it could be Tesla. Could just be Tesla. Could be any of a number of different pronunciations. We'll get that squared away. He comes to Arkansas by way of Hillsdale College. They got Texas A&M Commerce on here. We got North Texas represented, Bowling Green, Hillsdale, like we just talked about. So they went far and wide looking for help in the wide receiver room. They got some good size. Uh, Isaac, Isaac T, 6'4", 215 pounds. He's one of our sleepers. Nationally, no one's talking about him. Just folks at Arkansas are talking about him. The best position group on this team is running back. And you could throw in some D-line in there, but it's running back. They have uh, really, really an embarrassment of riches, starting with Raheem Sanders, Rocket Sanders to you and I. Uh, but they've got, they've got A.J. Green in there. They got Rashad Dominion. They got uh, K.J. Jefferson is the quarterback on this team who is essentially a running back in his own right. Raheem Sanders is the one you're looking at right there. Um, but Ro- Rocket Sanders could actually, uh, I don't know if I want to say this, in a just world, I'll say it this way, in a just and fair world, Rocket Sanders could challenge for the Heisman Trophy. This is not a just and fair world, so Rocket Sanders probably will not challenge for that award because it doesn't actually go to the best football player or most outstanding football player in the country. We've known that for a while. But they got a ton of quality tailback options there. And they've got Dan Enos, the new offensive coordinator, uh, with those weapons and the questions out wide. So it should be a sledgehammer of an offense. That's what it should be this year. Their breakout player, Chris Paul Jr., Pooh, as they would call him, at linebacker. He started the final two games last year. He played in all 13. He was a freshman All-SEC. He's the kind of guy that you could see a, a, a C on the chest of. Captain material. They love him. Uh, they think he could lead the team in tackles this year. He was fifth overall on the team last year and didn't even start until the final two games of the year. So he is a name to look out for. If you watch a lot of SEC ball, if you're in the SEC West this year, that's a name you need to know. And then we get the schedule. And I could, I could explain to you, as I do every year around this time, how ridiculous Arkansas' schedule is. Believe it or not, it's a little more workable this year than it was last year. That is relative. But why listen to me when we had our, our buddy Trey Biddy texted me earlier today, and I am not betraying his confidence as I read this on air because he would, he would have it no other way. Listen to this. There's a four-game stretch in the middle of the schedule where Arkansas is not at home once. All four of those games are against teams in the top 18 of the playoff odds. The first four SEC games are all played outside the state, starting on Sunday, September 17th, after the Brigham Young game, until Saturday, October 21st, when Mississippi State comes to town. There's a 34-day stretch between home games for Arkansas. Additionally, they have a bye after the MSU game and then play Florida after that. That makes 55 days between BYU and Auburn where they have one game in Fayetteville. There is not a year that goes by that I don't look at Arkansas' schedule and find myself saying, how did they let this happen? But yet it happens every single year. I will say this, at least it lets up a little bit next year. 
Next year, they don't, they don't play Bama. They don't play Georgia. The SEC did not deal them the, the frozen sledgehammer to the crotch that they normally do in virtually every category possible. But they still got a tough one this year. Let me just, as you look at this schedule on the screen right now, as you're listening on podcast, you know that whole argument we've been in a lot about how many conference games do you play? Let me tell you why it doesn't matter to me. Eight versus nine really doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to get worked up too much about it. Because Arkansas is a team that plays eight conference games. They play in the SEC. At LSU, Texas A&M, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. And that Texas A&M game, by the way, is not at Arkansas. It's in Dallas. So in a four-week stretch, they go to Baton Rouge to play LSU, to Dallas to play A&M, to Oxford to play Ole Miss, and to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. They'll be playing Alabama essentially as the fourth road game in a row. Those are four conference games. I don't care if they put three or four high school teams on this schedule the rest of the way. That chunk right there, that month-long stretch alone would be tougher than many full schedules that a lot of these folks in nine-game conference schedule land play. And the reason is because this is not the NFL. In college football, losses carry a whole lot more weight. And the chances of you going unscathed, the chances of the University of Georgia, of Ohio State, of Michigan going unscathed through that stretch are slim and none. Arkansas, spoiler alert, Arkansas is not going undefeated through that stretch. And so if you're talking about playoffs, you're talking about SEC West, you're talking about SEC championship races, that's insanity. It's total insanity. And yet there it is on their schedule. So you want to know why I don't get worked up about that whole eight versus nine debate. This right here is a team that plays eight conference games. None of you have a tougher stretch than that. None of you. I don't care if you play 10 conference games in the ACC or the Pac-12. None of you got it tougher than that. I've said my piece. I, I will stand up every time when it comes to scheduling for Arkansas. Uh, I had a story I could tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Instead, I'll just move on. Good Greek moving. Took care of us a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. Lose track of time down in Miami. Had a buddy who is moving, and I finally got to personally recommend Good Greek moving and relocation. Whether he takes me up on it or not, we'll see. People make mistakes every day, and if he passes on Good Greek, that'll be his for the day. Good Greek took us from Fort Lauderdale, took a whole lot of our equipment, and they trucked it all the way down to Miami, which if you are unfamiliar... Doesn't sound like a whole lot. It's 30 miles. Yeah, it's 30 miles when you're not moving. It is a headache. And also, they stepped up last minute, and they took care of us. And so in exchange, I said, you got some shout-outs coming your way, and we're not done with them yet. And so, if you want that move of yours taken off your plate, if you want no concerns, if you want things fully insured, if you want an outfit you can trust, good Greek moving and storage, I am telling you because we have experienced it, it's where I would go for all of your relocation needs. We appreciate them sincerely. You know that we cannot do a show in the month of June without talking about the most pressing matter in the month of June. Recruiting is on fire, absolutely on fire. Official visits all over the place. We got commitments popping all over the place. This is this and July, most important months of the year in recruiting. Counting, by the way, early signing day month in December. That's how crazy it is right now. Georgia is leading the pack. 
Georgia is the odds-on favorite, even though they don't put odds out on such things. I do. They are the odds-on favorite to have the number one class in the country. This, I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to end up being the highest-rated class Georgia's ever signed. So that's where my mind's at on Georgia recruiting right now. Now, they're tracking for an elite class, obviously. The newer development is the guys they've recently had in town. For instance, the top defensive lineman in the country. You're watching him if you're watching on YouTube. Williams, we think Waneri. I'm going to have to hit up Rusty. He doesn't even work here anymore. I still lean on him for pronunciations. That's the top defensive lineman in the country, I believe, out of Missouri. They got a loaded in-state crop, but Kirby Smart's talked on this show before about how he approaches national recruiting. You can't, as much as you want to lock down Georgia, and they do a good job of it, not all your needs are always going to be addressed in your home state. That's not the way God produces talent every year. It's not exactly proportionate. And so they may just have one they go grab out of Missouri there. Dylan Rayola was the number one overall quarterback in the country. Used to play ball in Arizona. Now he's at Buford. Go Wolves. Uh, do, you, do you understand what I'm telling you? If you don't have the rankings memorized, Georgia is either in it or at the top or already has commitments from five of the top 11 players in the country. They couldn't end up landing four of the top seven in the country. That's as the rankings stand right now. So yeah, they're doing okay. Believe it or not, things are going to be okay in Athens. In Tallahassee, big recruiting weekend. I think they're going to take like 37 receivers before all is said and done at Florida State. It's looking good for Elijah Moore. That's what it sounds like. That's my biggest takeaway from this past weekend. Now, look, that's a 6'4", 190-pound receiver who in the 24-7 sports composite only has three stars next to his name. I just think the industry's behind a little bit on him. 24-7 already has four stars on him. And I think that the industry will catch up there. So I think he's going to be a composite and consensus four-star receiver before all is said and done. It's interesting to watch their wide receiver recruiting because they're in it for a ton of guys at that position. I don't know what the number is on how many they plan on taking there, but the number I'm fascinated with is where's Florida State going to end up? This is not going to be a top three class. Could easily be a top 10 class though. And you remember in this era, you have to think about their recruiting class meshed with their transfer portal class. And Mike Norvell's doing a good job on both fronts right now. What about Texas? I think the last thing we talked about Thursday was Texas was about to make a move. Texas is making a move. Jarek Gibson, Number two running back in the country out of IMG down there in Bradenton, Florida, has committed to Texas. And he's not going to be alone. He's got more friends coming. It would not surprise me, actually, since we've been, oh, are you serious, Jesse? Okay, here's what, here's what I was about to say. Keep typing. You're fine. I was about to say it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of this show, Texas had had another commitment. And then Jesse hops in the teleprompter, which normally gathers dust because we don't use it. And he just typed. Texas has landed four-star offensive tackle Nate Kibble. This news is coming to me even as we speak. How about breaking news here on Sunday night, late kick live. So Texas is rolling. Uh, also, Colin Simmons, five-star edge guy. Let's just keep an eye on him. I have a, I have a smile that I'm trying to mask because I don't think it's over. Like there's a ton of competition for Colin Simmons. It's just that Texas is right in the thick of that competition. He's from Duncanville High School in there in Texas. In there in Texas. Out there in Texas. He also had 22.5 sacks in the year of our Lord, 2022. So there's that. And wide receiver alert at Penn State. 
Wide receiver, probably, relatively speaking, one of the biggest questions on this year's team. Well, they've landed three of them. Tysir Denmark, wide receiver. They flipped him from Oregon. That's a four-star kid. Uh, dude, my handwriting is atrocious here. Peter Gonzalez? Yes, Jesse? Whew. Okay, got him. Uh, that was a three-star wide receiver. That's a pit legacy. So that means a lot up there in the Keystone State. Josiah Brown's a four-star athlete. They landed him. And so it's just it's a magical thing when all of a sudden quarterback looks like it's going to be played at a little bit higher level than it's been played at your respective university. All of a sudden, those wide receivers say, I want some. And then you, as a coaching staff, get to select which ones you take instead of taking whatever you can get. So I would encourage you every, well, really every morning period, but especially Monday morning, Wilt Fong, his poor fingers, Wilt Fong has to type about 2 trillion words on Sunday night. And so make sure 247sports.com is where you are on Monday morning. The YouTube channel as well, the 247 Sports YouTube channel. It got us some softball attendance the other night. And um, so if you haven't already subscribed over there, I would suggest you do it. It is red hot in recruiting right now. I was talking to someone on one of these staffs, one of the recruiting staffs. It's like, he said, I am so far beyond exhaustion. I am so like, whatever the point of exhaustion was, I passed it miles ago. He said, I'm almost to the point where I'm so tired, I can't go to sleep, but we all know July is coming and we will all finally just be able to go. <sighs> but until then, it's on. It used to be vacation season, not vacation season anymore. June is where it's at. Uh, this show is where it's at because of you. Thank you so much. So remember, we need subscriptions because we got to have 200K before the season starts or else something terrible will happen. Not really. It's, it's a baseless threat, but I want you to adhere to it. I'm about to fire off the Kublik tweet right now. Best reply gets a chalice of supremacy. You have my word. Until next time, for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.